I am so excited about today um, for a little bit of my history, because we're all smaller church, right? Um, so I'm assuming that you're not leading a church like a thousand and you're in this session. That's because we all have the same challenges. And so to give you a little history on this from my story, so you know where I'm coming from, uh, I, I pastor a church that when I got there, a church that's been around for a while, uh, 73 years, I think 74 this year. And uh, so it's been around for a little bit. And uh, we came to the church about five and a half years ago, 35 people and uh, uh, loving Jesus. And we're going to try to make an impact. Um, and uh, I remember the day um, when I walked into my office. Um, it was about a, a year into us pastoring. I walked into my office and that night before we had a major um, rainstorm. And I walk in and the ceiling, this is my office, this corner of the ceiling has collapsed in all of my books. Everything's wet. And uh, I realized then we have a roof problem, right? <laughs> um, it didn't take much to figure that out. They taught me that at Bible school. Right? They taught me that at Bible school. Um, so we've got a roof problem. And so that means uh, we started getting quotes, started getting estimates. Of course, uh, we're a church of 35, 40 people. And the estimates we're getting for our, our building are like fifty, sixty thousand dollars, and I'm talking, you know, that's that's uh, uh, two thirds of my budget for the year. Um, how oh, we don't have, so we realize we have to do a fundraiser. We not just fundraiser. We have to we have to launch into a capital campaign because we've got this is non non negotiable. We have to do this, and that was very stressful for me. I was in my first year. I was young. Um, and uh, how are we going to do this? How are we going to get people to give like this uh, for something that is relatively boring to give to? Um, and I was in a prayer meeting. We used to have prayer meetings on Saturday night. I was in our fellowship hall praying through the church, and I remember where it was, um, where God spoke to my heart, and he said, if you'll put a roof over someone else's head, I'll put a roof over yours. And so we launched into a capital campaign there, um, and what we said was we felt strong. I shared that with the board, and they, they synergized with that. And I called a friend of mine and said, hey, um, we were able to, through, through a missions partnership with MAPS, they were going to take care of uh, the, the labor. So that knocked our $60,000 bill down to $30,000. And so um, we, uh, we went to the board, and I said, listen, I, I want to do at least a tithe of our project to a missions project. So I called a friend of mine who pastors a, a large missions church, missions giving church, and said, hey, you're connected in this world. What's a project we could do for $3,000 where we could build a church? And he said, I know the exact project. Here's who you need to call. $3,000 project. We were able to build a church um, in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, a place where missionaries can't even go. We had to buy the materials. The missionary had to buy materials, hand it to the people and go, okay, it's all yours from there. And so what we started was, is um, we started by saying, okay, the first $3,000 of this project are going somewhere else. And uh, we raised it fairly quickly. It was really exciting, exciting um, part of our church. And then we just launched into the fundraising process. We were going to do it. It was going to take some time. And we're now um, into the next year, coming into the time when we think we're going to start this project, and we are behind. We had just enough money to do the project if nothing goes wrong. And if you've ever done any kind of construction project, you know that everything always goes wrong, especially when you've had a leak as long as we've had it. And I remember in August of that year going, God, I don't know what we're going to do. We don't have enough money. We can't start a project if we don't have the money. 
but winter's coming. And I'm in northeast Ohio. And I remember the Lord speak to my heart. We're, we're a year removed from this point. And he said, you put a roof over someone else's head. I put a roof over yours. So I met with our MAPS team, their, their roofer, and, that, and I get on the, the roof with them. And the roofer within 60 seconds of being on the roof turns around to me and says, you need to call your insurance company. You've got hail damage. And we watched as God not only provided that roof in its entirety, but also the roof for the parsonage that sat next to the building. And we got to celebrate as we literally saw God put a roof over our head. We're talking about missions in a smaller church. 35, 40 people. Sometimes it can feel challenging, right? Sometimes you can wonder, how can we do this? Small church challenges are sort of unique because you don't have the people resources, uh, both in quantity and sometimes, I don't mean this negatively, but it's reality, sometimes in quality. And what I mean by that, just the talent pool that some, some larger churches have just by the sheer quantity of people they've got coming through the door. Um, you don't have the financial resources. You don't have, and there's all these things that we can uh, articulate that, that are challenging, there are constraints to doing missions in a small church. But I want, if you walk out of anything today, knowing this, that your church as a small church, whether you are 30, whether you are 100, 75, 150, 200, however you define small church, your church can make an impact for the kingdom of God and for the gospel all the way around the world. There are 50 or 60 believers in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, that this Sunday, tomorrow, will go to a church in a building that my church helped finance when we were 35 people. Amen. Completely. You can do this. You can do this. Now, obviously, just like anything, um, we take the things that are challenging to us, the people resources that we lack, the talent resources that we lack, the financial resources we lack, and we have to be smart. So today I want to talk about um, the challenges that face small church missions versus large church missions. I've been on all sides of this deal, um, but the challenges that face small church missions versus large church missions and bring some of that to bear. And the first thing is this, um, you've got to change the mentality from we're just a small church to we serve a big God. Okay? In the small church, I, I can't tell you how many times over the last five and a half years where we've, we've gone through the journey together and I will, I will cast a God-sized vision that like on paper, this does not make sense. On paper, we should not be able to do this and pay our bills. On paper, we should... We, and I will have people that will say to me, but pastor, we are just, we are just a small church. And maybe you said that yourself. So I don't know, I mean, I see what big church, I mean, we've got one of our churches in our network here in Ohio is within the top five churches every year giving millions of dollars to me. And you go, how could I ever do anything that would make a difference in that? We, we can't. I mean, we can't come up with $10,000. $5,000 would be a stretch. 
$4,000 a week. Oh my goodness, it's so tough. But that we're just a small church mentality will kill everything you're trying to do in your mission. Because when we say we're just a small church, we're just a small church, what we're also saying is God's just a small God. That God can only work within the constraints of our strength and our ability. If there's anything you take away from today, any, any battle that you need to fight is you should never, ever let anybody say we're just a small church. Ever, ever, ever. Because you never know what the Lord wants to do in your church. We look at our limited resources and we think we can't possibly do that project. Um, we can't possibly make any significant headway in this area. We think, uh, or, or we think about it this way, we frame it this way. We could never get that great mission speaker. So these other churches, the reason why they're able to do this is because they get that, like that all-star speaker who can suck the money out of people's pocket. Right? You just, I mean, I remember being in church, and some of you who have been around a while know Hugh Rosenberg, and he's one of our, our, our kind of founding fathers of Ohio Missions. I mean, my wife had said to me straight away, she said, listen, if Hugh Rosenberg ever said, like, sell your husband and give it to missions, I would do it. <laughs> like, he's just one of those guys, and you think, ah, I could never get that. I mean, our church can never get that kind of speaker. We, can, we start putting these limitations on us, and really what we're saying is we're, we're operating from a point of weakness. And, and there's no reason to operate from a point of weakness. Really, we need to start operating within God's strength. We switch from a poverty mentality that says we don't have, to a mentality that says God is capable of doing through us. You don't when, uh, let's think about um, some of you are pastors in this room or maybe you, you're the missions director or leader or um, person or whatever they call you and maybe you don't even have like a job description or you don't even know what they call you. You just get you know, handed this stuff. What do we do when we ask people to give like a faith promise? We ask them as, as an individual, we say, this is not about what you can do, Right? We stand there with a microphone. We stand there in front of a missions banquet. We, we challenge. This is not about what you, what you can do. This is about what God can do through you. Now, when we're on the leadership side of that, and we get the projects that have come our way or the, the missionaries that want to be added, all of a sudden, we start going, oh, I don't know. We start looking at the dollars. Listen, can I say this as a leader? This is not about what your church can do. It's about what God can do through your church. Right? Because I've had way too many times when we've led projects that we didn't have the money or the resources, and all of a sudden I'm getting random checks from random places, right? That God will provide. It's about being obedient. And so if you, if you, the, the greatest thing you do in a, as a church missions leader is, and your pastor will thank you, and some of your pastors, listen, abolish, we are just a small church. Get rid of that phrase. Get rid of that phrase. The second um, thing that's really important um, is that we use missions as a driver for momentum and culture change. We use missions as a driver for momentum and culture change. So um, we talked about how we don't operate from a poverty mentality, right? I Hopefully you got that um, drilled into your skull. Hey, we are... Um, we're going to abolish, we're just a small church, but that doesn't mean we stick our head in the sand, right? So sound, what I'm about to say is going to sound like I'm, I'm talking out of the side of my mouth, but I'm not. 
I'm saying we're being realistic about our resources. And so what you have to do, because in larger church context, you look at them and go, well, they've got all these staff members, or they've got all these people, or they've got all this stuff, and so they're able to keep all these things spinning. And so obviously missions is just one initiative of the church. We have all these other things we've got to keep on going. But what, what missions can become is the driver for cultural change and momentum in your church. And so what do we want, um, what are the values that we want our church to possess? Well, um, we want the church to be great commission focused, right? We want believers to themselves be great commission focused. That they're going out into their world and proclaiming the gospel. They begin to see things differently through the lens of the great commission. We want that, right? We want them to, to demonstrate radical generosity. Uh, Stan Tharp is one of our pastors here in Ohio. He says, um, I'll never apologize or I'll never feel bad about um, asking people for time or money because when they get to heaven, they'll thank me for it. So we want them to live radically generous lives. We want them to lay, uh, keep open-handed on their possessions and just, just give and give. That's a good thing, right? We want that. We want them to have big faith. That's a value that we want, uh, just to have that kind of buy-the-farm kind of faith that just uh, lets them see what God can do. I mean, just big stuff. We want these things. We want them to operate from a position of selflessness. And you know what missions can provide? All of those things. All of those things, those cultural values that you're trying to so hard to get them to do locally, well, sometimes the greatest thing that can, you can do when it comes to missions is say, okay, they don't get it locally, but what if we can help them get it globally, and as they see it globally, their eyes start to look to their own environments and their own relationships and their own life, so sometimes we try to hit it head on and say, you've got to invite your friends to church, you've got to reach your friends, oh, you need to have great faith for this initiative we're trying to do, oh, we want you to be radically generous toward this building project, and maybe what you need to do is instead of saying, okay, do it here, we do it out there, and the byproduct is, is that it happens here. This happens with us a lot, where where we will take missions and allow it to be the faith filler, to be the driver. I think of a couple of years ago, the, the extension of that story I shared. So um, we, we're a small church, and then we see God. Not only do we, we build this church, which was like something the church never thought they could ever do. We built a church. Oh, my goodness, this is incredible. They're so excited. And then we get to the end, of, and, and oh, my goodness, God answered our prayer. Oh, that's incredible. Now their faith is like... Whew. They're, they're energized, right? And so now we've got, but what do we have? We got all this money that had been raised. We got all this money that had been raised. Now we had some projects we wanted to do with that locally in our church. But then we said, we just felt, God, man, God, God we just want to keep this going. And so we took that money, and we said, and, and a unanimous vote in a business meeting, best business meeting I've ever had, okay? I mean, people are crying. It was because we, we voted to say, we're going to take this money that's been raised for, for this, and we're going we're gonna to give it away. And it was one of the most incredible moments of my life. I, I mean, they're crying for good reasons, right, in a business meeting. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people cry in business meetings, right? Um, <laughs> but good reasons, good reasons. So we, we invested into a church funding project that uses water wells to help get property in, um, in uh, East Africa, we, in the Muslim part of East Africa, where they couldn't get the land, but because they're bringing water, it gives them the property and gives them the capacity to build a church. And so we built a water well in a Muslim area in the village of Chamba and got to see God do something crazy big there. And, and what, one of the projects, I'll just share this testimony, one of the projects that we 
began to see, as they began to realize what God was doing, one of the things we wanted was chairs. We had pews. We wanted to transition to chairs in our auditorium. We had sacrificed our dream for chairs. Now, chairs wasn't just like a style thing. The biggest room in our building is our auditorium, that we were going to do outreach in that space. We were going to utilize that space in every way possible. And so we were saying no to some of our internal stuff that we wanted to do. And so we gave that money to, you know, Waterwell. And a couple months later, um, there was a church in Delaware. Um, I don't know if you know Michael Petrucci or not. But um, uh, Michael Petrucci, his church, we got connected to it. They were getting rid of their church, a decent-sized church, pretty big church. And they were getting rid of their stuff. And uh, they gave us $7,000 worth of chairs. And what was amazing was, is people saw the connection. They saw, we sowed in the kingdom and we reaped in the kingdom. Like we focused on everyone else and then God provided for our needs. We sought first the kingdom and everything was added to it. All of a sudden, missions became the driver for vision, became the driver for faith. All these things you want to happen in your church. All these things. So that we looked outward and God said, oh, listen, I'll take care of it inside. I'll take care of it inside. See, missions can be a driver for all the values that you want to have in your church. It's not just another ministry. It it has the capacity. It has the capacity to build faith. It has the capacity to teach them generosity. You know how many people um, will start giving to a missions project that then will turn into tithers? Because they see God do crazy things in their finances and crazy things that they link their faith with God. All of a sudden, now they start going, they backtrack. They go the other way, Right? I mean, missions can be a driver for momentum. I mean, we, in fact, we, also, we did this, uh, we had some stuff we needed to do in our church called Vision for Transformation, we some facility stuff and some things. When we started that project, we started that fundraising, the first question I got as we started doing breakout groups a bit like this size, doing these, these dinners to explain what we were going to do, the first question I started to get from our church was, so what's the missions project we're doing first? Because they, they got it. It drove the vision that we are gonna, we're going to be a church that's about the world. We're not going to be just a church that's about us. You've got to use missions as a momentum and, uh, momentum, a driver for momentum and culture change. Now, let me say this in this, this vein. The only way that this works is to celebrate wins. Celebrate the wins. And the wins don't have to be huge. They don't have to be huge. You don't have to be the only one. You know, that, that we did a missions project last year as a network with uh, Craig Corbin, one of our Ohio missionaries, and with um, uh, the Molly Hub, and it's a Live Dead initiative, so it's going into unreached parts of West Africa. And, um, we did that as a whole network. But you can better believe that we're celebrating that on a local level. That we're standing out there and saying, we were able to be a part of something. We were able to do, thank you. Or we get a missionary that needs an immediate need. You know what? Because of your giving, we were able to do this. We didn't have to ask you. We didn't have to go to you. But because you were radically generous, you you have to celebrate the win. That's the only way it keeps the momentum going. That's the only way you can can keep that that driving. So um, the next thing is this. You need to get a new scorecard. This is where real... uh, it really rubbed me to re- the meat, uh, or the road, rather, um, uh, for small churches. Um, we look at totals. And when we look at totals, 
in a small church, that can be pretty deflating. Because we go, well, we only did this. It just looks so small. It feels so small. And let me, let me liberate you from some of that. Um, first of all, biblically, um, I think about, every time I think about the small things that we do, the $500 things we do, the $1,000 things we do in the project, or the, the $50 we do a month for a missionary, I think about um, a little boy's sack lunch who fed 20,000 people. See, the capacity of God is so much farther beyond what we can imagine. And so what God does is he takes our you know, $1,000 or our $2,000, our $10,000, and, and he takes that and he multiplies its effectiveness. So he gets way more out of the dollar than we could ever begin to imagine. And so it doesn't matter how much we give because God can take $1,000 and make it worth $100,000. I and mean, he can do that. So some of it, we've got to get around it theologically, around our faith. But the other thing is, is we get hung up in totals, and totals don't necessarily reflect health. Jim alluded to this earlier. Um, some of the times, uh, we need to, to look at a couple of different metrics to evaluate whether we're healthy in our, ch- our church and missions ministry. Um, uh, for instance, think about percentages. So percentage of total giving versus what you're doing in missions. So for instance, let's say, uh, to use round numbers, um, that you have a $100,000 budget, but you're giving $10,000 a year in faith promises for it in any projects you do or anything. Listen, 10% of your total giving goes to missions. Listen, that's awesome. In fact, that's the target that we as a team and the missions leadership team really would set before you is to say, why don't you give a tithe? through your faith promise, through however you want to do it locally, that tithe. So if you're hitting 10%, listen, that's healthy. Does that mean we stop at 10%? No way. No way. We, we have been able to see God do some radically cool things over the last few years, one of which is to see, um, it was a little different this year, we experienced some like crazy growth. So we had um, just a lot more people coming through, and, and so our, our dollar to match. The year before that, we were at 37 cents for every dollar that we had go to missions. It was crazy. It was crazy. So you look at it and go, if you say it like that, all of a sudden, man, that, that's health. 10 cents of every dollar. And, and listen, when you communicate this, if you're the offering person or if you're in it, say it like that. That 10 cents of every dollar, because people like to know where their money is going. They like to know that it's being sown in the right places. It gives them an accountable, transparent relationship. So we get hung up on totals. Think percentages, not totals. Think percentages, not totals. That will help you to evaluate where you're at. The other thing to think about is new givers. So this is one of the things that God's really done on my heart as we've done missions ministry in the last year because we've had so many new people come to our church. Um, we have to work hard to create, because it would be easy to say, well, um, we're going to do this this year, and then all of a sudden we hit that. But if we have the same pool of givers that are doing everything, uh, we haven't really grown our missions ministry. We've grown those people, but we've not really grown in giving because we haven't gotten new people who are taking that even small step to get a, be a part of what God's doing in the Great Commission. So one of the things you can evaluate um, in your local church is, is not just the percentage of what's get, being given, but also how many new people are participating in a faith promise um, situation where they're giving monthly or maybe a project you're doing. Um, 
one of the things, um, yeah, so the, the think numbers of givers and numbers of new givers. That's a, a new metric you got to manage. And then think about percentage increase. Think about percentage increase, okay? So, you know, you give $10,000 this year. Okay, cast the vision. What if we were able, by God's help, to increase our missions giving by 10% next year? And share that with the church. We did this with um, a project um, that followed our Tanzania project in the water well. Um, and I'm talking a lot of projects today. In a second, I'm going to talk to you about faith promise giving and why it should be the core of your missions giving. But um, we did this with a project in Tanzania. Once I got, I actually went to Tanzania. It was a trip. And once we saw where the water well was going, we got connected to this other this Bible school. And uh, they're building this this Bible school. And so we... We pledged about $6,000 to that, that project. And, um, but in front of the congregation, I said, you know, here's the deal. We're going to do $6,000. If we have like start selling stuff, we'll do $6,000. We've committed that. We're going to see that happen. But I know this. I've talked to the guy in charge of the project. It costs $10,000 to do one room. I think we can do one room. We're going to do six, and we're going to be faithful to that. But I believe. See, you give them the opportunity to participate. You give them the opportunity to engage. Uh, the, the final thing that um, we'll talk about and then we'll do some Q&A um, here is develop a strategic plan. Develop a strategic plan. So, um, again, because you're a small church, and this should be true of every church, but because of a small church, the margins are a lot thinner. And so that means that you have to be much more um, mindful of the resources that you have. You want to make sure that you maximize the missions dollars that you have. What's going to produce the greatest result? What's going to go out there and make uh, get the job done? You got to make those resources count. You got to make those resources count. So how do you do that? First thing is faith promise giving. Faith promise giving. Maybe you you don't phrase it that way. Uh, you might. Um, I don't know what you call it, but we call it faith promise at our church. Basically, it's the monthly, what can God do through you kind of giving. Um, The reason for that is because your greatest, I think of Greg Mundus, our executive director of World Missions, he says the greatest missions dollar that's ever spent is spent on a missionary who's on the field. I love projects, and we'll talk about projects in a second as a, a great driver, but I love projects. But missionaries, projects are only good if the missionary is there. So that church that was built is only good if we got somebody to help support that. That water well is only good if that's, that Bible school is only good if we got the mission. So missionary boots on the ground are the most important thing you can do. The most important thing you can do to make an impact for, for the Great Commission. Um, and, and, the temptation sometimes is, I'm going to show my cards here, because, and some of you may be in a church that does it differently. The temptation is, is to go, well, we want connection with our missionaries, so we're only going to support one or two or three missionaries, um, a bunch, as opposed to a bunch of missionaries at $50 or $100 or $25 or whatever your church sets that at. Can I, can I encourage you, don't do that. Um, our missions model, as the Assemblies of God, is built upon lots of churches and lots of partners. It's a model of diversification. So if you're a, an investor, um, you diversify your portfolio. Why? It's because if one stock goes bad, 
you haven't lost all your money. Now imagine this, if you were supporting a missionary, let's say your church said, we're going to take on one missionary. We're not going to do a bunch of missionaries, we're going to take on one missionary. Let's say then your pastor transitions or things happen in that church and all of a sudden you can't do or won't do what you committed to do. Now a missionary gets pulled off the field and ministry stops. Completely. Whereas if I lose a $50 commitment or I lose a $100 commitment, ooh, that hurts. But I can pull back the belt. It's important to support missionaries. We do this together. This is one of the, the, the places where the Assemblies of God really leverages the network of churches. There's a lot of places in which we are all different. Every church in this room is different. But this is where we say we're better together than we are separated. So I want to challenge you in that. I'm passionate about that. The best missions dollar you spend is in the faith promise. Now, projects. Projects are usually easy to raise for. Okay, It's exciting to raise money for a water well. It's exciting to raise money for Bibles. It's exciting to, and those things are good. And the reason why projects can be very helpful to you in your missions, pro, in your missions ministry, and you've got to do both, okay, is because um, some people get started in faith promise by partnering in a project. And they, man, again, their hearts get, get amped up into what God is doing. And so projects give that way for the church to be able to onboard new, mission, uh, new missions partners, new missions givers, by and large, the fastest way to do it. Fastest way to do it is because it's one-time giving, right? I go, oh, I can give my whatever I'm going to commit, and I'm, I'm out. But then they realize, man, that was awesome. That was great. And now when you come back around with faith promise giving, they go, yeah, I want to do that. I want to make a part of my life on a routine basis about the Great Commission around the world. So I'm not saying I love, I love missions partners. That's our primary bread and butter. But projects help drive that. Projects help move that ball down the field. Um, Jim said something a few years ago, too, that was powerful, is that some people are just, <laughs> are just never going to give monthly. And so the project will, will often be the way that they part. So you'll see, and they might do something crazy. I mean, some, sometimes they won't do the monthly thing, but they will sit down and write a $10,000 check. I mean, crazy, right? I mean, just nuts. It's because that's just how they're wired, and, and sometimes <laughs> we can only do so much, right? <laughs> Lead a horse to water, right? Um, so think about those as mission strategies. Think about what you want to do. How do you add new missionaries? You ever think about that? Like, what's your protocol? Like, what are you evaluating? So cause you've got limited resources. And so you can't just take everybody who makes a phone call and God bless them. But you're going to get a lot of phone calls, right? So you've got to be wise about who you partner with. And let me say this as a strategic plan. Be wise about who you put in front of your people. So I have many, many friends who are missionaries, um, some of whom, um, oh man, I love them. I'm on a microphone, but they, and I'm not saying names, so it doesn't matter, right? Um, they can't preach their way out of a, a wet paper bag, <laughs> right? You, this is, these are the kind of people that, that are boring, and they're like, they're the reason why people don't like missions. But these missionaries are awesome missionaries, I mean, they are changing the world when they get on that field. When, this is really key for me, and this is something we've held to, is we put great communicators, missions communicators, in front of our people so that we can support missionaries who can't communicate very well. We put them 
great communicators that are going to inspire people, explain it, do everything that needs, so that we can turn around and, and look at our missionaries who may be a Bible school teacher or maybe doing some, you know, and say, listen, we love you. I will, it, I will support you if you never come and talk to us, right? Because um, we know what they're doing matters. You've got you to put great communicators in front of people because that's what kills sometimes missions ministry in the local church. And let me say this, too. As a small church, um, sometimes we have, I shared it a moment ago, sometimes we have that mentality that says, um, we're just a small church. We can't get, you know, the ace communicator. I have never had that happen. Greg Mundus has communicated in my church. Did it via Skype. Greg Mundus, and he remembered it a couple years later. Like, oh, I did that. It was like 20 people in the room. That's why we're super small. Like, ace communicator. I have never had anybody say no to me when it came to missions. In fact, the opposite is true. Many times, these communicators love walking into the small church because they want to energize. They know what they can bring. They know that they can help you move the ball down. They know that they can create momentum in your local church. And so they love the opportunity to share with small church. Don't ever say someone's no for them. Ask them. Worst they can say is no. Most times they won't. Most of the time they won't. So, um, this is the last thing I'll share, and then we'll use Q&A. And if you've got questions about how we do stuff and what we do, that's good. Um, Leverage the bigness of the network. So we're small, but we leverage the bigness of the network. So, for instance, the network-wide projects that we do for the last several years. You don't know how to get plugged into a project. You wouldn't even know who to call. Guess what? We have got a project we're getting ready to unfurl in May. Okay? Your church can leverage the bigness of the network and get all the professional resources that we put together for it, the videos and the, the, you know, Fancy communication stuff, and you can use all that. Leverage the bigness, leverage the relationship. When I say the network, I, that's mainly about relationships. I think about my friend Brad Rosenberg down in Tri County, and, and these, I call him up all the time. I'm like, hey, do you know somebody who does this? I really, you know, oh yeah, I know that. You've got people in your areas, your local church areas, your 14 geographic areas, that are like this. They're going to know. Leverage those relations. Ask those questions. Get into that world. Call Jim Palmer. Call him. I know he'd love it. He would want to talk to you. I'll put his, yeah, I'll, home phone number. Jim Palmer, um, he especially loves when you call early in the morning because he's the only person awake. Um, <laughs> he wakes up like, like 3.30 in the morning or something crazy. Not that quite, but close. But leverage the bigness of the network. Partner together with other churches. Um, so, for instance, in a, if you want to take a mission trip, it's tough to do that in a small church. Get four or five small churches together and put a mission trip together. That's where the network becomes strong. That's why this thing that we're doing here today at Synergy is so important. Leverage the bigness of the network. So, let's, uh, let's do some Q&A. Uh, we've got about 20 minutes, right? And um, just should be enough time. Yeah. We're actually uh, having a fundraiser tomorrow after, at our church after church. Um, we're going to the Dominican this summer. Awesome. Our church is about 120, and we're probably going to have, that's the first fundraiser we've had within the church, probably going to do like a Chinese auction type one right this summer, mm-hmm. but one of the things my pastor and I talked about is, I don't want to use the word competition, but competing, but you're competing against the other ministries in the church. We have Missionette Flooring, we 
just have some youth, uh, some young adults taking over a youth ministry mm-hmm. that we've not had before. Uh, children's ministry. So you sometimes I feel cautious going to that well. Right. Yeah, you know, I, I feel what you're saying. So uh, I love that phrase that you, you said. Oh, boy, we, um, another phrase we've used, uh, that I've used in the boardroom sometimes is, uh, boy, you can only milk the cow so much before it dries up, right? Um, now, by the same token, part of what I've done is release myself from that. Um, and I don't remember where, where it was that I heard this, but basically it's some people will partner with some things and some people won't. And so what we're saying is, when we come to them, it's saying we're not saying everybody in this room will feel passionate about this or called to do this, but some of you might. Um, my, my pastor friend, he pastors uh, Tri-County, we shared a little bit about him today. Um, he shared at a missions conference that we were at a couple years ago about how um, they had had, and they were a big church, but, you know, their stresses are similar, you know. And they had done a Convoy Pope thing, and they had done this, and every week there was a special offering. And they were in you know, the big, big asks that they're saying, hey, we need 100000 for this, we need 200000 And he came back again for this another initiative the next week, and um, one of his, like his head ushers was like, Pastor, were you going to do another special offering? I mean, goodness gracious, you know. Um, aren't people going to get worn out with this? And he said, listen, we're going to do it. We give people the opportunity. That day after church, this guy was like, man, I am so thankful that you did the second offering. I wanted to give in that. Turns out that guy gave $50,000 in the offering that day. (laughs) Listen, we give people opportunity. And I think if you're not cajoling, and if you're not manipulating, and if you just come with with the same thing I just said, which is, you know, if the Lord lays this on your heart, we're asking you to give. We're asking you to prayerfully consider. That's a phrase I use over. Prayerfully consider what God might do through you. And, uh, and we don't come with guilt. We don't come with manipulation. We don't you know, put starving babies on the screen while we're taking up the offering. We don't do any of that stuff. Um, we just say, what can God do through you? Uh, um, that God, what is God asking you to do? Because you know, all we're asking him to say is, okay, how can I be obedient to what God's saying to us? So I, I, some of it I say, it's tough, but, uh, and you do have to balance everything, but listen, 120 and you've got 15 people, get more than 10% of your church going on a mission trip, that's pretty incredible. Um, I mean, again, that's, that's an example of how we retrain our minds to go, okay, this is, this is successful, this is, this is healthy. Yeah. Yeah, Tom Baxter. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, I don't, know how to, I don't know how to do that the right way because I feel like I'm abandoning these people, but we yeah. are only getting pledges for a third of the people we have on our list. And that breaks my heart, you know? Right. We get enough that comes in, hmm. but I don't know how to connect people to those people, and I don't want to lose, I don't want to drop them, I don't want to not support them either. Right. So you're, if I'm, if I'm understanding it, you're, you're not getting enough in to match what you're... They're just not pledging to that. They're not, they're not picking these people. And so, and oh, so you guys pick. It's like we have so many, but only like a third of those people have a faith pledge. Other, all the extra is from just they designate from their title. Okay, so. It's coming into our 
I mean, I kind of yeah, perfectly consider that. You know, with, I'll show you what, what Tom did because I know you referenced that. Yeah. Uh, People's Church, a good-sized church, and they are extravagantly generous when it comes to missions. Um, they actually did a season. So they said, instead of like cold turkey um, saying, uh, we're just cutting missions, you know, these 20 missionaries, what they did was they decreased everybody. I think it was, it was 80, down to 80% of the total. So um, missionaries can swallow that a little bit better. You know, so if I'm getting $100 and now I'm just getting $80, 20 bucks is a lot easier to do than the 100 bucks. Um, the other thing, so, and it was just for a season, they said while this was happening. And then, and this, I know this was a key part of their journey, was they invited the missionaries to pray. Pray with us. We don't want this to be forever. And they began to get stuff back from the missionaries saying, we're praying. Now you've got partners, right? And they're praying. And then they, um, within like a couple weeks from sending that communication, I believe, um, they had the, like, the largest one Sunday missions offering they've ever had. And it wasn't like a, hey, this is the problem. It wasn't like they shared it. It just happened. And not only did they were able to bring up that support again, um, they um, were able to pay back the, the deficit. And so I think when I heard that, I was like, man, that's such a great way to do that. Um, yes, there will be times and seasons where it's possible you have to say, boy. Um, it's tough. It came out differently, I guess, when yeah, I'm, them talking about it, it sounded like it, they were doing it a little different. Yes. Yeah. So, so if you're struggling, yeah. You feel the pressure. Yeah, so Yeah, so one of the things that Yeah, Jim go. I think what she's saying is they're trying to connect people yeah, picking that with mission missionaries. And that's really that would be untypical. Most of our churches don't do that. They just have people give to the the pool. And then they allocate it. Right. But they do a good job telling the story of the individual missionaries. Yeah. So I think if you do a good job telling the story of the missionary, whether it's through video, you can get videos through ADWM, or whether it's testimonies from your missionaries yeah. you're supporting, I think if you just keep putting a, a face in general yeah. on missions you know, through the year, that, that that keeps it personal enough for people. You can always... Yeah. missions newsletters, most of them come by email. Yeah. I mean, you can make those available to people in the church and just put one distribution list together and send all those out to everybody and say, hey, you know, you, uh, and, and maybe do it more where people are assigned to pray, yeah. specifically yeah. for missionaries. We talked about that in one of the other classes that I was in, and it was a really good idea for me because this mm-hmm. has really only been my first entire year of taking over mm-hmm. this position, so I've kind of had to yeah. just kind of learn a little bit here and there about it. But that was one of my personal goals, was to get our congregation more informed about the people that they chose to support, because there mm-hmm. is no communication, it's just that one weekend, and then that's it. Yeah. You know, and whether they sign up for their emails or not, I read them, you know, I'm right. And that's the thing, I, I, if you're going to do it that way, then what it takes, I think, would be regular, like monthly, or bi-monthly communication that it's always in front of them. Yeah. It's always in front of them. So because it's the natural thing to fade. Right. right. I mean, we feel passionate about something and it kind of fades. Mm-hmm. If you're keeping it in front of them, yeah. um, that's, I think, one of the greatest challenges of being a missions point person in church is um, 
your job is mainly communication. It's constantly casting the vision, constantly pushing. pushing set, so, yeah. Yeah. And that's what we've started. And the last Sunday of every month, we connect with the missionaries. And then what we've done is encourage the congregation then to sponsor them, not financially, but relationally. And so then they keep in contact with that missionary, yeah. and then they're letting everybody know, and then it's turning into a missions banquet, right. and everybody's involved. However you do it, so. just keeping, um, keeping people close to the missionary, you know, keeping people close... Uh, we put missionaries a lot of times in our small groups. Um, in fact, we get better offerings in small groups than we do on Sunday morning. Um, you know, 12 or 20 people or so. Because, why? It's because all of a sudden I know somebody. Like, like I remember one missionary couple that we, we support. Um, that at the time, their oldest son was nine months old. And they're like, do we want to take him out? There was like 20 people. I said, no way. No way you're taking him out of here. I mean, he wasn't screaming. He was just being nine months old, just kind of. Making little, I was like, they, this church needs to hear that little kid in the background because he's going with you, you know. And and that became uh, this family is going to you know the Middle East. Like you, okay. Then it puts a, well, dude, that could be me, you know. Yeah. Has your church grown since she applied these principles? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you know, outsiders, I'll say this. Non-believers love missions. They don't fully understand it, but like that you're doing something that's outside of you. That you're doing something. And I, I remember talking to our school superintendent, and I was saying, yeah, we, you know, um, about we did about you know at that time it was probably about thirty-five thousand dollars that year to missions, and he knew the size of our church, and he knew like, and he's going, the what? Like, do you do like? get subsidized from any other organization to help support your budget? I'm like, no, no, we take care of that too. That's not a big... And it, the idea that we are selfless, that we are doing something to make an impact in the world, they don't fully grab it and they think it's kind of humanitarian aid, but they like that. And so we have. Uh, and um, Yeah, we've, uh, we started at 35. Um, we were in between 110, 120. Um, on an average Sunday, about 170 people call our church their home. Yeah, so... Yeah, so we, we, yeah, we have. Anybody else? Anybody else? Practical stuff? Any questions? How-tos? How what, what do we do? Anything like that? So if your church hasn't been doing, like, faith promises, how do you recommend introducing them? Uh, I'm old school in this way. I'm a big fan of the missions convention. Um... The studies have been done. Churches that have a missions convention, typically, I think the number is like, they typically raise about 37% more. I think it's the number. Somewhere in that range uh, for missions. Um, and obviously, missions is not a one-trick pony. It's not just giving. You know, it's going, it's praying. Um, but um, that missions emphasis, no, listen, you may not want to call it missions convention because that's not, not what the cool kids say these days. But... Um, Missions emphasis, you know, mission summit. You can do it in a weekend. We've done all kinds of stuff. Um, we've done this year. We did a whole missions month because we found that people don't attend church every week. Okay, much to the chagrin of of Dave and I, who are pastors, um, right? And so, um, 
we found that we needed to do something that stretched over the course of the month to be able to catch as many people as we could. Uh, we've done two missions conventions, so one in the spring, one in the fall. Uh, we've done over the course of weekend. We've done missions banquets. We've done, I mean, we've tried a little bit of everything. And I think shaking it up is nice because that helps people um, to, to interface in a different way. Um, if you're new to it, having a great speaker who's capable at the faith promise um, would be uh, really important. So it may be a thing that um, not every pastor is skilled at making the ask, um, or every leader, maybe you're responsible for that. Um, so uh, the, the name that, there's a lot of guys that are good at this. Um, a guy that I think is probably the best at it, um, Jim would probably agree, is Tom Green. Um, Tom would be, he's come to Ohio, done some Light for the Lost tours for us. That guy uh, was the head of Speed Light for some, some time, head of Light for Lost for some time, um, and he tells the mission story. And the thing that he does great, and I think you look for in a speaker like this, is that they connect the whole story together. And uh, telling from a big vantage point. Um, the other thing we've done um, that has helped the faith promise thing, sometimes, we've not done this every year, but one of the things that sometimes is good is we will have in our missions convention, a lot of times, it's missionaries we don't support. Um, and the reason for that is when I come to faith promise times, especially because I bring in quality mission speakers um, for the most part, um, I'm able to stand up and say, you know, you loved this, didn't you? I would love to be able to pick them up for support. And four or five of the missionaries just like them. This is what that costs, you know, and and people are just like, yeah, dude, I'm in. Like, I want um, you creating the space for the need, um, creating that heart connection. Um, there are a thousand ways to do missions conventions, a thousand ways to do missions emphasis. Get missionaries close. Get missionaries as close to your people as you can. That's why I say small groups during that missions emphasis. A lot of times we would bring in missionaries. We get a bunch of missionaries, um, and each small group would get a different missionary. And, in, and what was great, great for us was, is in some of our small groups, these were our, I'm a pastor, obviously, and usually I'm hosting, but these were people that were responsible to make connection with the missionary, talk with them, schedule them, make sure they were okay to come to the house, get all that stuff. They were responsible for doing an offering in the small group. And so you're deploying people in the ministry at the same time, um, and they get this overwhelming connection with these people. They're like, you know, going nuts because an hour-long small group um, is so much more relational. And so you get questions that all of us have, like, so, like, what do they eat over there? Like, that's the first question they get, right? But it's just the normal stuff. How do we, how does this work, man? Because they're trying to figure out, could I do this? Could I do this? One of the dreams that God's put in our heart is to see missionaries come out of our church. And um, could God, like, take me for more? So I tend to schedule missionaries who are plucked out of the marketplace. Um, to give a positive example of what the dream I have and the vision I have for our church. Um, these are regular folks. They're just like you. They're not Bible school trained. They're not, you know, professional mission uh, ministers. They just felt the call of God. And they left their sales job. They left their nursing job. And we have some great Ohio missionaries that are in that space. Uh, Christine Little, phenomenal missions communicator, nurse. And God 
plucked her out and stuck her in Zambia. Um, so, um, and that's part of the whole strategy thing. So you, when you select those missionaries to speak, they, they buttress that strategy. So faith promise giving. Again, I would stress too, it's not, it's not, hey, look at my budget. What can I do? It's saying, God, what are you asking me to do? That's a different thing. Um, and, uh, man, it's stories, and then you've got to tell the story. So people come up to you and say, dude, I did this, and then, like, like, I've been praying for this thing to happen for years, and all of a sudden, I do this, like, one week, and, like, dude, film that and put them up front, like, do it, like, tell that story. You know, like, this is what God does when you seek the kingdom first, then he adds the other things. Yeah. Anything else? Wow. Wildland, oh, yeah. Exactly. We support a missionary who uh, are in Somalia and they were the Live Dead and uh, uh, initiative. And he he's a photographer, and so they can't go as a missionary. So how does he go? He goes as a travel photographer. That's his creative access platform. And uh, again, that helps people go. I, God can call me and do whatever with my life. So um, let me pray for you guys because uh, I think we're probably coming to the end. And uh, um, believing that God's going to do some big things as you dream big dreams and kind of synthesize what you've heard here today. So let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you for the the passion in this room um, because what's represented here are people who want to link their heart with your passion, with your desire to see all people come to know Jesus Christ and to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that as they're riding on the way home today or as they're having conversations with their teams or their pastors or the leaders that are in their church, Lord, I pray that their faith would rise up and they would not look at what they don't have and they would not look at their, their lack, but they look at your abundance to know that when, when we link our heart with what you're doing, God, you will provide. You will exceed our expectations. You will do more, abundantly more than what we can ask or think. And so, Father, I would pray tonight, or today, Lord, that you would send these guys back home to make an impact for you around the globe with people they'll never meet and languages they'll never understand or places they'll never go. That you will use these churches in this place, in Ohio, to make an eternal impact so that someday in heaven we're going to get to meet people that we were a part of their process coming into the kingdom. So Father, I thank you. Thank you for these guys. When you bless them today, it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. We'll see you.